It's time for JT the Brick. I'm working for free today. Get the blank out of here. The tackles that are coming into this program have now got to be. One of them's got to pop like Daryl Russell. One of them's got to pop. Who's it going to be? How long have we been waiting for a young defensive tackle to come in here since Daryl Russell and go, I got this. Don't take me off the field. I'm a beast. JT the Brick. I'm on a roll. I want an elite superstar, 25-year-old linebacker who's going to play five years in a row. You're going to pay him a new contract, and he's just great. This place hasn't done that well, and now Dave Ziegler probably could do a much better job at that position, I would believe, because the Patriots had a lot of good linebackers. Play that rant again. I'll get the hell out of here. And now, here's JT the Brick. Welcome back, everybody. JT, today inside the Raiders headquarters at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. It is media day as the media is there taking those photos and those videos of the Raiders that you'll see on the broadcast this year in the media guide. That's what they do. It's a big day. Guys in uniform coming back. A happy time here in the facility. Welcome to hour number two of the show. A big hour here as I'm back from a quick trip to New York and going on a quick trip to Europe tomorrow. And then pretty much summer is here. I always claim to get out of here when the summer begins. Feel like I'll be here during the heat of summer in mid-June, July, and August. And as the Raiders get closer to training camp after OTAs and minicamp, then we'll really see the competition of this team heat up. Sounds like there's a lot of competition going on. Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler tweaking the roster to try to make it better than the roster from last year. I think they've done that. Uh, the schedule's very difficult. We know that. Raiders need to remain healthy. They're playing in Canton, Ohio in the Hall of Fame game. It's going to be a longer season. And we'll cover it all here on the flagship as we get going. We work with the Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame every year. It's really a big honor for me to have the opportunity to get these former athletes on, individuals who have had a huge impact in Southern Nevada, especially in Vegas. And this one, this gentleman's near the top of the list. Sean Davis joins us, and he is simply one of the most influential individuals that the sport of rodeo has ever seen, a three-time world champion saddle bronc rider. He devoted much of his life to the sport of rodeo, and as the general manager of the National Finals Rodeo, we understand what he's done for this community. Sean, thanks for coming on, and uh, congratulations on this high honor. How are you? Good, thank you. This is a great moment for you and your family, and I want to begin with your high school and collegiate rodeo career, which was incredible. Did that have everything to do growing up in Montana that at an early age you knew you were going into that sport? Well, the only thing I always remember was wanting to be a world champion cowboy from the time I could walk, and it just continued from there. And how did that happen? Was that your grandparents, your, your parents, where you grew up in this beautiful region of the world where this was a top sport? Instantly you know that this is what your calling was going to be, huh? Well, I, it was my grandparents and my uncles on my mother's side that, that was interested in rodeo. And for some reason, I just was attracted to That's all I can remember. I started riding goats and calves when I was three years old. And, uh, but I always was interested in, in horses, uh, and, and the rodeo sport itself and the Reynolds family there, uh, was, you know, the kind of the, uh, legends of the time and they, and Benny become world champion. Now he was about four years or five years older than I was. And then the other brothers were older. And, uh, that was kind of my inspiration. 
Sean Davis is our guest. You win the coveted gold buckle three times in 1965, 67, and 68. What did those honors mean? You were the best in the world for that period of time and the competition coming up behind you to get the gold buckle away from you. You must have enjoyed those young guys chasing you, wanting to be as good as you. Well, you know, you, you always, I, I guess probably the, uh, there was some good education to that because I thought, you know, when you won a world championship, basically that the, you'd accomplished everything and everybody would, you know, it was something that, that you'd just be recognized from then on. But I realized about a month and a half after I was the world champion, if I didn't get back and win another world championship, that I'd be totally forgotten. And so it was the first uh, real good step to, to uh, teach me the challenges that was to come throughout my life. Sean, what was it like with sponsorships back then, if there even was that, and how much you would win? If you would win at a rodeo, an individual accomplishment, were you chasing money? Was it survival, or did you have money to help you along the way? What was the business aspect like that early on? Well, the business aspect, it was for money. I, I was very lucky because I, I had a, uh, from the first time I participated professionally and before, uh, what they call a permit, and it, it, I, I, I could win. And uh, so it was an income to me from the time I was so in high school through college was that was a basic income, both in amateur and professional, uh, professional rodeo. Uh, the money numbers were very small and in comparison to what they are now. But uh, just to give you, a, for instance, I can remember, I think it was Sandy Colfax mm-hmm. that was paid a hundred thousand, the, uh, the uh, highest paid uh, athlete, if I remember correctly, in like in 65, and I won about 26,000 that year, setting an all-time money winning record. And and the, a little comparison was I bought a new Cadillac, an airplane, and still had money at the end of the year. <laughs> Sean, Sean Davis is our guest. Yeah, money went a little bit farther than it does today. The Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame uh, newest inductee, Sean Davis. What an impact that he had on rodeo before we get to the impact on NFR here in Southern Nevada. I want you to walk us through the injury, which was so serious. May 25th, 1969, fractured and dislocated your spine when a bronc fell on you at the rodeo in Thompson Falls, Montana. Walk me through that moment in your life, what it was like to be on the ground, knowing that your career could be over, let alone walk again. Well, it was, it was a very, uh, you know, it was very challenging. Uh, the situation was as a friend had a, professional rodeo in Thompson Falls, Montana. I just won the bronc riding at Woodard, Oklahoma, and I had my own airplane, and uh, uh, I'd, uh, and there was a storm come in there, and I called him three times. I said, I just cannot make it. I can't get out. But he said, well, can you try it one more time? And I went out, and I shouldn't have been flying at night to begin with in a single-engine aircraft, but I went out, and there was a sucker hole, and the clouds kind of broke, and, and anyhow, I ended up flying to Billings, Montana, gassing up. And when I got to Thompson Falls, we were just uh, a few minutes till the rodeo started, and we had a choice. There was a crop duster strip, and I'd never paid any attention. I knew that if I landed, I, I'd have to uh, uh, let the fuel off that I had and and, uh, let, and couldn't take off on the runway. A- anyhow, I went there, got on a, a – it was a bareback horse. It wasn't the uh, 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 saddle bunk, that, and this horse had been out. And they, uh, he'd been out in the rodeo 17 times, but he'd never had uh, anybody that rode very good on him. 
And he, uh, when I went to spurn him and, and riding him, he flipped over backwards and 1100 pound horse landed on my, landed on me. Uh, the story goes on. It's, uh, that ended up, uh, <clears throat> there was no ambulance, there was no ambulance, <laughs> just a station wagon, uh, they took me to a uh, uh, hospital at Plains, Montana, 30 miles away, laid me on the grass, took an X-ray. Uh, the, the ambulance picks us up five hours from the time I broke my back, oh. and the ambulance run out of gas <laughs> and, and, and uh, coasted into a gas station finally. But anyhow, it was five hours before I got to the hospital, so it was quite a situation. The disappointing part was that I'd won more money uh, than I'd ever won uh, uh, prior to that and, uh, and uh, still qualified for the National Final Rodeo and that happened in May. What an incredible story. We're talking to Sean Davis, newest inductee into the Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame. So you have this incredible career in the rodeo and then you help Las Vegas because the National Finals Rodeo, the move from Oklahoma City to Las Vegas, and you become the general manager of the NFR in 1986. You held that through 2018. Walk me through the politics behind that move, the people in the room, the decisions that had to be made, and how it paid off for Southern Nevada the way it has. It was kind of a situation, and and a a man that really got left out of everything was a man by the name of Harry Wall that was the uh, uh, CEO of Caesars Palace. I was uh, a coach at the College of Southern Idaho at the time, and I always had racehorses as a hobby. I was over galloping the racehorses, and you didn't have cellular then. You had a pay phone. The pay phone rang. My secretary called me and said, there's a man by the name of Harry Wald wanting to talk to you about uh, the rodeo, the National Finals Rodeo, and my secretary gave me some of his qualifications. So I called Harry uh, from the pay phone, and, and he asked me if I'd be willing to meet with him and discuss moving the rodeo uh, to Las Vegas. And I said, I said I would. And in the meantime, Benny Binion and I had been friends for years. And, wow. and so I called, I called Benny Binion and I said, uh, Benny, uh, do you know Harry Walls? And, and what can you tell me about him? He's got interest in the national finals rodeo. And uh, Benny said, he's a square shooter. And I said, would you be willing to meet with Harry and I? And, uh, and he said he would. And that's how it all got started. It's an incredible run. What do you consider, Sean, your legacy to be? Is it as an elite athlete in the rodeo industry or as a businessman who pulled off one of the most important moves in the history of Las Vegas? And this has turned out with more than 300 consecutive sold-out performances, an integrable part in building the legacy of NFR. So what is your legacy as you come into this induction? Well, you know, I I think in Las Vegas, Las Vegas, uh, I... uh, I always was mesmerized something in my younger life about Las Vegas. I was there in 1962. Um, uh, I actually uh, skipped some classes in college and entered the rodeo there in one, one second. Uh, but uh, my legacy, I, I do think, uh, even though I've done very well in, in the rodeo business, uh, I think probably is the fact that it's done uh, – I think it's done what I hoped it would do when I made that decision because that was a tough. It was a tough decision, but it was a decision I thought had to be made because mm-hmm. I seen everything in Oklahoma City. It's kind of maxed out, mm-hmm. and and that the people were 
buying the tickets, but they weren't coming. There had to be some adjustments in in the productions and so on. And I, when Las Vegas made that offer, and especially when I had the support of Benny Minions, I didn't have the business experience to, uh, at least, the, or the confidence to make that kind of a decision without some support that knowing that would happen if I didn't make the decision. And uh, with with that, uh, I think that I accomplished the things probably more as much by accident as on purpose. But but uh, it's not only did it change, uh, you know, the city of Las Vegas. I knew needed something because when we'd go there in December, they shut down a lot of things. I always yes. hear the conversations. And then I knew that Las Vegas needed the rodeo as bad as the rodeo needed Las Vegas, and it just kind of all clicked. After that th- that third year, though, we didn't sell the tickets out till the third year. And, of course, that was one of the highlights. And if you ask me what my highlight of my rodeo career is, I think maybe that was the highlight because the amount of people that, that, that uh, basically uh, depended on that to be a success, uh, mm-hmm. and if it, w- if it wouldn't have sold out, it made me look uh, – you know, I'd have made one of the biggest mistakes instead of one of the best uh, yeah. uh, um, the things I ever done. So I, I think possibly my legacy would fit around the success at, uh, in Las Vegas. But when you say me, you know, I have lots of people, uh, you know, from from my friends that come out there, rodeo that that retired and come out and, and basically volunteered their time the first year or two to the uh, people in Las Vegas. And it's just been a great relationship that we've been able to put all this together. But the production of rodeo and the whole rodeo industry has changed because of the way we structured the production of the, the National Finals Rodeo. And it's yes. been an upgrade all, all of rodeo. And I, and I think uh, I'm as, as pleased with that as being the world champion cowboy. Well, Sean, it's an honor to talk to you. You know, I watched my wife and I finish Yellowstone, the show, and I'm, I'm sure you get this all the time. You should be a character on Yellowstone. I don't know if they've approached you or if you've seen it, but I am fascinated now by Montana, the rodeo, what I see on that show. And I get an opportunity to interview one of the icons in the history of the industry before you come to Vegas for this great honor. Look forward to seeing you that evening, meeting your family. And again, thanks a lot for joining us. I really appreciate your time. Appreciate you having me on. You got it. Sean Davis. Wow. For those who live in Vegas, you know what he said at the end when, for the month of December, you had hotels that were pretty much shutting down. There was nothing going on here. And then the rodeo comes, NFR. He's the backbone and the meaning behind it. And now, I mean, if you're you're out of market and you don't get it, most people in Vegas get how important NFR is to Vegas and these hotel rooms and what it's done for this industry from resorts world to circa to the stratosphere all the way down to the southern part of the strip what it means to the Thomas and Mack Center to the restaurants to the hotels to the airport that gentleman we just spoke to had a lot to do with all of it he is one of the high honorees in the history of the Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame we thank him for his time. So that's what we do here. This is a big part of what we do with this great Hall of Fame, and uh, we've been knocking out all those guests over the last two weeks. If you want to get through now on the Raiders, as I'm here inside the facility, we're wide open the rest of the shows. I'll show no more interviews. I can get you on the air quickly. 702-365-9200. Here's Evan in Marietta. Evan, what's happening? Thanks for waiting. Hey, JT. Love your show. Appreciate all you do. Thank you. I just wanted to comment a couple things on the power rankings. It's par for the course. 
Last year they picked us fourth, and, you know, we finished 10-7. and seven. Uh, You know, this year more of the same. But just a couple of notes. Last year I thought the Raiders were going to be pretty good just listening to all the players. They're just so articulate. They're so we-oriented, team-oriented, not me-oriented. Um, just love them. Love listening to Nate Hobbs talk about being a team player and Hunter Renfro, just the whole gang. It's just awesome. One of the words that uh, Josh used, I believe, was ascending regarding the offensive line. And I totally think the team is ascending. And I just can't wait till we play the Chargers this year. And I'd just love to see the disappointment on their face one more time. Thanks for all you do. Love your show. And we'll talk Thank you. Soon. Appreciate you listening. Thanks so much for that. Look, power rankings are important. You have a lot of people around the NFL who know a lot more than I do about the NFL, former coaches, scouts. And then you add in the Vegas element of gambling, which is big because you've got to slot these teams a certain way from a gambling perspective. You have uh, Super Bowl odds to win the Super Bowl, odds to win the division, odds to win the conference. So that's going to happen. That's never going to go away. The only thing I try to do sitting here inside the Raider Nation is remind people when they get it wrong. I get it wrong, and people remind me all the time because I'm on the radio every day, twice a day normally. So when I make a little tiny mistake, I predicted that the Warriors were going to win game one. It comes right back, and I find in my Twitter two or three people telling me, well, you were wrong on that. Who cares if I'm wrong? I'm not paid to be right. I'm paid to have opinions. And the opinions of some of the people in the media on the Raiders is they give no acknowledgement to the roster. Last year, they didn't know the roster. They didn't understand Trayvon Merrick. They didn't understand Andre James. They didn't know certain players at position groups. They just didn't. And now they're going to start to notice that. But they gave the Raiders no credit for bringing in Chandler Jones. Like, they just act like they got Chandler Jones at the end of his career. He's had more sacks than anybody since 2012. Then you bring in Devontae Adams. The Raiders got a lot of positive press on that. They did. But the lazy journalist... They go for the weakness of the Raiders. All these power rankings don't go over the weakness of the Broncos. Have you read a power ranking that talked about Boy Blunder yet, who is the head coach of the Chargers? Right? He, he's a terrible coach. He makes awful decisions on fourth down. That's not put in their synopsis. I think that's a pretty important thing they all leave out. That the coach is over his head. He's terrible on fourth down. He takes too many chances. And make the playoffs. No, they just tell you that they're the fifth-ranked team. So everybody forgets that. But when it comes to the Raiders, what they do is they put the Raiders' weaknesses under a microscope. They do. And all Raider fans know that. And it goes back to Al Davis. At a level of Al Davis fighting the league, jealousy towards Al Davis, all the winning he did over the decades. There's been some down years for the Raiders. We've all lived through it recently. But this team, it's complicated this year to pick the win total because you just know that it's almost impossible to have all the walk-off wins that they had without a loss. You know, if it just comes back to earth a little bit, it's enough to keep the Raiders out of the playoffs. That's why they set the number at 8.5, because they won 10 last year, and they won four of them on Daniel Carlson game-winning field goals as the time expired. And on top of that, they got rid of a head coach who resigned in the middle of the season. Interim coach took over and led them to the playoffs. And everybody's just sitting around just saying, did that happen? It did, so that can't happen again. And I I just give a little pushback on that. That's all I'm doing. I have no idea what their record's going to be. Last year I predicted nine wins. They won 10. This year I predicted 10. I think they could win 11. But they got to navigate the schedule. The schedule is a minefield. 
I've been telling you, the schedule is a minefield. It's got all these potential trip-ups. I didn't like the schedule. When I knew about the schedule before I went on the air and I was held to secrecy, I didn't give you anything. I knew the schedule was going to be bloody and brutal. And it has been in the past, and it is this year. I don't like the early bye week. I don't like the schedule where they have the Raiders with no primetime games until the end of the year. I think that the schedule is set up for the league to really come after the Raiders and the Raiders to get tripped up if they're not playing well early. This season is going to be defined by the first six games. If the Raiders can go three and three, four and two, it's going to be beautiful. If they don't go that way out of the gate, because they're going to be an underdog in most of their games, then they're early going into the bye week, going to be under tremendous duress to try to dig out of the hole and get back to 500 and then start winning more games. I don't know how it's going to play out. I just know it's tough. And I think this one game at a time atmosphere is great if you're a player and a coach. I don't do that. I have to look out. I have to make predictions. I have to see what's going to happen. So I think the Raider team is better on paper than last year. I think the offense is going to be better because as much as I love the offensive coaches who were here before and not retained, I think this offensive coach is going to be more aggressive. They're going to have more of a purpose. They're not going to be as predictable. But the offensive line's a question mark. The offensive line is still a question mark. And that's why I think they got to go out and get another player. When we come back, your phone call, 702-365-9200 on Media Day. And this Saudi Arabia LIV Live Golf Series, Phil Mickelson just agreed officially to play in it. He signed a contract for $200 million. $200 million. Dustin Johnson's paid $125 million to join. And Tiger Woods turned down a high nine-digit steal. And Jack Nicklaus, who doesn't play anymore, turned down $100 million. This story is insane. JT, have you settled down, lad, with all of our Raider fans today? Ren, I must have walked by two or three hundred Denver fans and said, where you going? The postgame show go, where you going to Celine Dion? Adele's not here for weeks. Where you going? It's back-to-back years of a sweep. Let me remind the Denver listeners around the globe. Back-to-back years in Allegiant Stadium and in Denver. Swept twice. Go home. We thank you for spending your money here. Please come back again next year for the triple sweep. <laughs> Brent, I'm ready to go. The postgame show's ready. What a send-off by JT. <laughs> Just what I wanted for all these Bronco fans. He and Eric will be coming up with the postgame show. Ah, uh, Brent Musburger. The former voice of the Raiders, what a run he had, and what a great, iconic career he's had. Wanted to get on the radio today and thank Brent for what he's done for me as a friend, as a mentor, and another voice of the Raiders, and we should all wish him well. Should all wish him well, and no one should be deeply analyzing at 83 years old why he's not back. Uh, Raiders will make good decisions. They always make good decisions. I can tell you this, being in the building, the Raiders deeply care about these decisions here. And not every voice of the Raiders is the same. Not every voice of the Raiders is the same. And give the opportunity for the new voice of the Raiders, whenever that's announced, to be a part of the family. 
as we open it up again. If you want to touch on that, we can. Andre James was in studio. I just saw Q outside the studio. He's coming up with Trayvon Merrick at the top of the hour. So that interview will be right after I get off the air there. Then I'll be back next week heading to Liverpool and Amsterdam to see the Rolling Stones. My wife and I met at a Rolling Stones show. So every year or every two years, we go on a international trip, or we tried to. This one was canceled two years for COVID, or we go see him somewhere else around the country. So looking forward to this trip here. Really excited about that. And then we'll be back next week, and we'll be closer and closer to more organized practices and the opening of training camp, which is going to be great. I think everybody's optimistic about all of that. I'll, I'll save what I have, too, on Deshaun Watson for the final segment of the show, but he's in big trouble. He's in big trouble now. It's getting worse because his attorney is speaking on sports radio and the whole thing's going backwards. I'll get to that, but I wanted to kick off uh, the final half hour of the show talking about the Warriors and what's happening in that series now, now that it moves to Boston. The Warriors, to me, have the ability to go down as one of the greatest teams of any era in basketball. Not the greatest. They're not going to surpass the Bulls in Jordan. I don't think they're going to surpass Magic's Lakers or Bird's Celtics. But over a period of time, if they win this fourth championship, two with Durant and two without, with the team that they have and the new players that are coming in, the new players that are coming in that can sustain this excellence for years, it's going to be really special. The issue I want to talk about is Draymond Green. A lot of Raider fans or Warrior fans, and you should all have an opinion on this. At, ne- at this point in time in, the, in NBA history, he's probably the most arrogant over-the-top, and out-of-control player that I've seen. And that, that's not a knock on his game. He, he's a multiple champion. He's got a podcast. He's on TV. But what he's doing now is showing no regard for the officials and the referees. He yells at the referees. He verbally berates them. And the referees do nothing. And, and they, they do nothing. It's like an umpire in baseball. And the batter is screaming at him. After a called strike that should have been a ball, and then he continues to scream at the ump. In baseball, the umpire at home plate throws that guy's ass out of the game. Period. And it doesn't happen with Draymond Green. So Draymond comes into every game, but the game last night, he came in extra amped up. He came in really worked up in that game, and you knew we were going to see that from him. And there were a couple of plays in the game where Draymond got tangled up with Celtics and they went to the ground. But then Draymond at the ground was pushing off and talking crap again and doing whatever he wanted to do. With one technical, they don't want to throw him out. They don't want to eject him from the game because it could change the balance of power. That's one thing these referees don't want to do in any sport. They don't want to be the reason why a team loses because they throw a player out of the game. No sport is more important than soccer where you get a yellow card for a certain type of infraction. If you get two yellow cards, that equals a red card and you can't play the next game. So when you get a red card, what people freak out about, not only are you thrown out of the game, but the suspension not to play the next game could really hurt, especially if it's in a World Cup semifinal and you can't play in the final or something like that. That's exactly what we're dealing with Draymond. Draymond believes that he can do whatever he wants to do. Now, I don't have a dog in this fight. I'm a New York fan, so I don't want the Boston Celtics to win. I don't dislike the Warriors, but I want to see the Warriors earn it. So much of the media has said here over the last couple of days, oh, this is a great finals. No, it hasn't. Both games are blowouts. 40-16, to 16, the Warriors were outscored at home. Blowout. They lost by double digits in game one. 
And then Boston took all their starters out of the game in the fourth quarter last night. That's not iconic. That's, that's nothing. The stars are great, but the games aren't right. Never in the history of this sport have we seen in the playoffs where a team gets blown out one night and blows out the team the next night. I mean, you can't even figure it out. So a lot of people bet the Warriors last night. I talked to a prominent, prominent, big-money gambler in Vegas ahead of Game 2. And he said he didn't have a play on Game 1. He was waiting for Game 2, and he pounced, and he went big on the Warriors. He made a lot of money, well over six figures, well over on that game, because he felt like the game set up perfectly, perfectly for his bet. I said, what do you got in Game 3? He goes, I- I'm figuring it out, but I made enough money in Game 2 that I could sit out a game. So as I'm looking at the moving line, and we're trying to figure out how to bet this at 3.5 with Boston as a favorite, this is the game I always thought that we were going to see the Warriors lose. If there was one game I was pretty confident they were going to lose, no matter what happened, it was going to be the game, the first game in Boston, which is Game 3. But Boston got blown out in this last game. Let's play some of the sound bites that became the highlights of the game. Steph Curry with 29 points, knocking down threes left and right in complete control. Curry down the right sideline by Porter Jr. Curry takes a three. It's up and good! A heat check three off the screen. Curry's got 29. That's Tim Roy on all these calls on the Warriors' side. So Steph Curry scored 29. That was his 29th. And then the big shot became the Jordan Bull just inside midcourt to cap off the huge third-quarter run. This has been the biggest shot in the postseason. Five seconds to go to Poole. Poole crosses half court, fakes and fires from half court on the way. He got it! He hit it from half court! Poole walks away and says, yes, sir! I got this! Steph Curry goes over. Well done, young Padawan. Well done. Yeah, that's Tim Roy again on the call. So right there, the game was over. Game was over, and what Emmy Adoka, the head coach of Boston, did was the right thing. Even though they play on Wednesday and they got a lot of time off, he got his guys off the court because his team was god-awful. Al Horford, 28 minutes, two points. Williams the third, 14 minutes, two points. Marcus Smart, who I think is so pivotal in the series, 25 minutes, two points. And Jason Tatum, the star of the team, had his worst career game, playoffs or regular season, minus 36 plus minus, even though he had 28 points and was pulled after 34 minutes in the game. Here's the final call up in San Francisco last night. The Warriors against this very good Boston team took them away in the second and third quarters with great defense. And we go to Boston all tied at one. And if we get five more games of this, it, this, this series, I think, has a real chance to be a classic. Warriors radio. See, I disagree with what Tim said there. It's not a classic. When teams are getting blown out by double digits, that's not a classic. It's entertaining for the team that wins, but it's not a classic. People turned the TV off last night. It was a blowout with 10 minutes to go in the game. But I liked that I had the Warriors in six. I think because they dropped game one, it'll probably be Warriors in seven. But for the fans who are listening in the Bay Area, streaming our broadcast, who are Warrior fans, what do you think about Draymond Green going forward? If I had a guess, I would guess that he's going to get thrown out of a game. I really do. I think his ego, which he can keep in check, a really sharp guy, got a television deal, a podcast deal. He's a smart guy, made hundreds of millions of dollars playing basketball. But he knows the only way the Warriors can win is if he is that worked up that intense, that much of a bully player. 
And we've seen bully players win championships before. Go back to the 89-90 Detroit Pistons, the bad boys. Go back to Dennis Rodman and all of his championships. Draymond loves being in that conversation. Here's Boston's head coach, Emi Adoka, talking about Draymond's Green's impact on the series. I felt like Draymond playing more on the ball had an impact on you guys in a few circumstances where you're kind of getting into guys. I know you picked up a technical at one point off one of those plays. What do you just think his impact was on how you guys were playing offensively and just composure-wise out there? That's what, I mean, that's one player that you know you can only do or guard one person at a time. So we had uh, 11 turnovers for 18 points in the first half. And they had nine steals, so playing in the crowd way too much. I mean, he's going to switch matchups a lot of times and try to impact the ball defensively especially, but we weren't strong with the ball overall, so it wasn't just him. It was, uh, of course, he's going to come out and try to set the tone, but I think we weren't strong with the ball a lot, searching for fouls instead of going up and making plays, especially with their lack of rim protection. So for us, that was a little disappointing to give up 33 points off of 19 turnovers, and that's kind of been a constant theme in the playoffs. When that happens, we're in trouble. Yeah, so that's the coach of the Celtics commenting on Draymond Green and the impact that Draymond's had. Here's Jalen Brown, who got off to a really good start in the game, but picked up a couple of fouls and got into it with Draymond Green. Back on the Draymond play, when you're kind of going back and forth with him, are you aware that he has one technical already? No, uh, not really. I'm just trying to play basketball, and I feel like that was an illegal play. I feel like they could have called it, but they let it go um, in terms of a technical on either way. But I don't know what I was supposed to do there. Some guy, he got your, their legs on, on the top of your head. Then he tried to pull my pants down. I don't know what that was about, but, you know, that's what Draymond Green does. He'll do whatever it takes to win. He'll pull you. He'll grab you. He'll try to muck the game up because um, that's what he does for their team. It's not nothing to be surprised about. Yeah, Draymond does this because he can get away with it. The referees are intimidated by Draymond Green and his importance in the NBA Finals. It's outlandish to me. His ass should be thrown out of the game if he conducts himself this way. Now, he's right on the edge. You can disagree with me. I don't know how you would disagree with me. Then take the refs out of the game. Then don't have any refs and let the players scream at the referees, bark at the referees, and do this when they're on the ground. Why why even have referees? Let's just have robots with no emotions at all. Now here's the sound but I've been waiting for you to hear. From Sirius last night, here's Draymond. Listen to this closely. This is what Draymond thinks about himself tied at one in the NBA Finals. How concerned were you that they may have given you a second technical when you and Jalen Brown were down on the floor? Not at all. Word? Um, I mean, you are Draymond Green. You said they treat you differently. That is, but it's the NBA Finals. And, um, you know, like I said, I wear my badge of honor. It's not that... I'm saying they necessarily treat me different. I've earned differential treatment, and I enjoy that. I embrace that. But I'm never going to let someone stand over me. I'm a man first. My kids are in the stands. I don't, I don't play by, like those type of games. And so whatever happens at that point happens. He just said, I earned differential treatment. That's courtesy of ESPN. Michael Leaves is asking him a question, and he basically admitted that he deserves special treatment because he's Draymond Green. He's got him right where he wants the sport, the sport can't control Draymond Green. This wasn't a wild game. This wasn't the malice at the palace. There's no punches thrown. I'm not going that outlandish and over the top. I'm just saying that Draymond Green should have been thrown out of the game or close to it, and I guarantee he'll do it again. So game three is going to be crazy in Boston because if you know Boston the way I do, the Boston fans are thrilled they got a split in San Francisco. They have home court advantage going forward. Game three is going to be a madhouse because the Boston fans are right on top of the Warriors. And we know what the Boston fans said to Kyrie Irving 
I know what they're going to say to Draymond. We know in advance. And Draymond's going to come into that game all worked up because he's getting all this celebrity star power now. Everybody's talking about him. Going to come into that game, and the Boston fans are going to have none of it. Okay, this isn't Salt Lake City. This isn't Portland. This isn't Sacramento. Those Boston fans are lying in wait, and they're going to make life miserable on Draymond Green, and they're going to bait him. And if the Celtics are smart, they're going to bait Draymond Green and try to get him out of the game, get him in early foul trouble, get him to the point where he is so upset with the referees that maybe he picks up that technical. How do you see it, 702-365-9200? I love this and the way it's playing out. I think it could be a very entertaining finish to these NBA Finals. And if the Warriors win, it enhances this great franchise's legacy. If Boston wins, they surpass the Lakers with most all-time wins. And if the Bostonians get that stat, oh, they're never going to shut up about it. Because no one's ever going to catch the Yankees' 27 wins. I think second on that list is St. Louis with 11 or 12, if I'm right or wrong. No one's going to catch the Yankees in our lifetime, in our next generation. No one's going to catch them. They're too far behind. Boston can surpass the Lakers all-time if they win three more games, and they have home court advantage. 107-88, Golden State takes out Boston in Game 2. Game 3 is on Wednesday, and I think that's going to be a really important moment. It's going to be put-up-or-shut-up time. The teams that are tied 1-1 that play in Game 3, the winner of Game 3 wins the NBA Finals 82% of the time. 82 it's a big number. That's a big game in game three. Triple A, no, excuse me, 702-365-9200. When we come back, Deshaun Watson and the newest rumors about him now and the comments from his attorney, Rusty Harden. Can't believe it. The 24th lawsuit is officially filed against Deshaun Watson. What impact could that have on the AFC and the Raiders? I think it could have a big impact. This is another team in Cleveland ahead of the Raiders in the power rankings. We're brought to you by Modelo, the fighting spirit, and my bucket of Modelos. Well, you know what? Here's the thing. I, I, I'm going to make a mention that, that, you know, JT earlier in the pregame show, talking to Eric Allen, talked about how invaluable Carlson would be in this situation and if it was maintained close. And, you know, we talk about a player of the game. I got to give it to Carlson. Mr. Carlson is the Coca-Cola player of this game. JT, how is it back there at the uh, at the NM Club Lab? Did they jump up and celebrate? Brent, the Raider Nation is united. Let's hear it. The Raiders are alive. With a week to go, what a classic victory by the silver and black, down from COVID, down from players. And Brent, you're in Indy, we're here in Vegas. The whole city of Las Vegas is ready for the Raider Nation to come back home next week. What a win for the Raiders. Raider Nation, unite. All right, JT, let's, let's party. He and Eric Allen are going to be along next it was a lot of fun doing that with Brent Musburger. Really a lot of fun. We wish Brent uh, the greatest retirement possible. If there's anyone who deserves it, it's the great Brent Musburger. JT, back with you as we wrap it up here. A lot to get to still on Deshaun Watson. So Deshaun Watson now, his attorney, Rusty Harden, went on local radio in Houston, uh, talked about some issues, the type of massages he probably got. 
This, to me, is going backwards. This is the biggest story in the NFL. Here's Rusty Harden. I don't have a deadline. Uh, I suspect that the NFL wants to conclude their investigation sometime this summer, whether that is June, whether that's uh, August or July. I have no idea. That's their schedule. Well, the schedule is now, and, and there are rumors, there's nothing concrete, that Roger Goodell wants to wrap this up because he's got a boatload of problems. He's got the John Gruden emails and that lawsuit going forward, Daniel Snyder, who seems to be an owner that could be on the way out, and he's got the issues with Deshaun Watson. How could that affect the Raiders? Well, that could be one team that the Raiders are competing for, for a wild card position that could be eliminated. They're not going to survive if Deshaun Watson is suspended 12 games or an entire season. And I, I think what's happening here, everybody, is simply this. The rumors about Deshaun Watson and the amount of massages that he received that was a typical type of massage at the end is too much for the league to handle if it's true and for the women to handle who make up a large percentage of NFL fans. The 24th lawsuit has been filed. And basically, here's the key to this. The allegations in regards to these massages, one specific excerpt from the first page of the complaint. Defendant Deshaun Watson has a disturbing pattern of conduct, the complainant contends. Each of the cases against him is strikingly similar, evidence to habit or custom. Watson seeks out random strangers on Instagram as he's done more than 100 times. More than 100 times, presumably, there's evidence to support that claim, evidence that likely comes from efforts to develop relevant facts in other cases. So that's what we're dealing with today with him. And the fact that their owner, Jimmy Haslam, gave him $240 million guaranteed, guaranteed, before this has been resolved, I don't think a lot of the owners like that there because it increases the price of all quarterbacks and the guaranteed money in the league. So I think most of the owners around the league going, what the hell are you doing, Haslam? What are you doing to us by setting the bar that high for a guy who might not play another year? Chris in West Oakland. Great to have you, Chris. What's happening? Hey, JT. Hey, first off, that clip you played earlier, Deshaun Watson's lawyer sounds like he's straight out of Swamp People or Duck Dynasty. <laughs> first time I heard him talk, and I heard the little press conference. I can't believe some of the things he said. I don't think he really, I don't think he really helped to cause that. But I'm with you, something you said last week, JT. How long is the NFL going to wait on this? I mean, how long is it going to take? What is their timeline? When are they going to you know, make some kind of decision on this guy? And I've always said this about athletes like, listen, one or two people, when I hear people say, oh, 20 people come out of the woodwork, 20 women, they're not all telling the truth. If just one of them telling the truth, then it makes the guy a scumbag, okay? Yeah, I'm sure there's women that are looking for their, looking for their a little bit of money. But if there's only one or two out of 20, if only one or 22 or five or 10 are, are telling the truth, it does, still doesn't mean Deshaun's a good guy. And the other question about this before I move on to the Warriors is always this. Tell me why an NFL player that has access to the absolute best medical treatment, massage therapist, and everything else, why do they not use the team facilities instead of go to the local rub and tug? I'll never understand that unless there's something shady going on. Let's get to the Warriors real quick. Look. I'm not that worried. Even after game one, I said this team would be fine. All this talk about the great Celtic defense. The Warriors have had 92 and 94 points going into the fourth quarter. They're not having trouble with the Celtic defense. The Celtics didn't win game one because of their defense. They won because they shot the lights out. And, hey, they might do it one more time. But the benchmark to beat the Warriors in this playoffs in the five losses, 
the, the lowest team number of threes a team has hit has been 19. So if you have to shoot 20, hit 23 pointers to beat the Warriors, JT, I'm guessing they're not going to do it four times. They might do it another time, maybe even two. I don't think they can do it four times. I think Kerr made some phenomenal adjustments, switching Draymond onto Jalen Brown and putting Clay on Al Horford. Horford didn't even attempt a three-pointer. Taking Jordan Poole off the ball. I've been very critical of Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole can't be the primary ball handler in this series. He dominates the ball too much. He doesn't move like everybody else. However, Jordan Poole last night was taken off the ball and had many runny had it was with Steph Curry on the court when he was playing off the ball and Gary Payton playing because Iguodala was hurt. Payton should have played in game one instead of Iguodala anyway. Iggy's got nothing left. That being said, the Warriors are one phenomenal quarter away from being up 2-0 in this series. I think they'll be fine. I think the Celtics are no joke, and they'll win another game, maybe even two. But I still think this. my prediction was the Warriors in six games. I don't think they've played their best basketball yet. And the Klay Thompson explosion is coming at some point. He's not the consistent Clay that he was before, but he's still got one of these games in him. And the fact that the Warriors have played this well offensively, especially through three quarters in two games, without Clay doing too much, is gonna, he's going to erupt. I said all along when J- Jason Tatum, everybody said he was only three for 17. I go, I'd rather see Tatum get going because that means the role players weren't. The Warriors have always been remarkable at beating the Stars. Let the Stars get theirs. Don't let the role players beat you, which is what happened in game one. But with the adjustments the Warriors made, I don't think it'll happen again. Warriors in six. Have a great vacation, my oh, Hold friend. on, Thanks Chris. Hold, hold we'll on. One, hold, hold on. Oh. One quick thing. i got to go quick here. It's amazing you okay. went through that elaborate great phone call and didn't mention the topic of Draymond. You're a basketball coach. He's, I, running, he's running down the court, screaming at the refs the entire game, at the top of his lungs, screaming back out of him on foul calls, and they don't kick his ass out of a game. I'm, I'm with you a thousand percent. I was going to get to it, JT, but I didn't want to ramble on too long. I know you're up against it, but you're, you're right. I told you the other last week, I'm a diehard Warrior fan and Draymond drives me nuts. And it's always in the back of your mind that he's going to do something mm-hmm. stupid to get himself thrown out. And if I'm the Celtics, it's a smart play. Bait him, especially when he picks up an early technical. Right. CJ McCollum made a great point on first take this morning. He goes, hey, I, let the, I, would, I wouldn't have broke it up. I'd have let my teammate go at him a little bit. If the other guy gets a technical, it's a no big deal. But if Draymond gets one, he's out of the game. There's always that chance Draymond's going to yep. do something stupid and get Got to run, Chris. Game, Appreciate you getting that done. in there. Thank you, Chris. Good to hear from you. Thanks to everybody today. Bobby putting the show together. Andre James in studio. Sean Davis from the Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame. The guests that we had on today, Doug Jolly, former tight end. Q's on deck. Trayvon Merrick right out of the gate. So keep it right here. I'll be the first guest to to show off. I'm gone for a week. I'll be back middle of next week. Everybody have a great time. Always an honor to be in this building at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center to kick off Raiders Media Day. Thanks to all of our proud partners. New proud partners coming on for the football season. We'll have all that up and running when I got back. Have a great week, everyone.